Cohen suggested there is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. This viral crack gives us a chance to create something new and better. So let's talk about back to different and let the light in. Well, I am this morning with Catherine Porter. Um, she is one of my my new friends whom I've never met. Um, I have more friends than I've ever had in my life, and most of them I have never met, except 18 inches away looking at a screen. And there are some people who hate things like Zoom. I thank God for things like Zoom, because imagine the isolation if we couldn't at least do this. So... We've talked a little bit, but Catherine, I'd like you to just tell your story, how you got here and what I've seen of your story, I find interesting. So I want other people to get to hear it too. So take it away, Catherine. Okay. Thanks, Mac. I, you know, I started a few years ago out of college, a while ago, actually out of college. And I started with a teaching credential and I'm in California and in California, it's a fifth year. So graduated from college and I thought, well, you know, I want to be a teacher. So I went to got my credential. And then I taught for a couple of years. And then a friend of mine went to law school and I thought, huh, that sounds like fun. <laughs> uh, so I took, you know, took the LSAT. I did fine on it. I went to UCLA law school and, you know, and it was fun actually, because one of the things that, that you and I mentioned earlier, you mentioned it was that you like to go to school and that you're a life, that lifelong learning. And, and that's just me completely. I used to always say I wanted um, someone to give me a job where I could just go to learn, <laughs> just just learn all day long. Uh, so yeah, so I was always looking for that. I haven't found that job yet, but I'm still hopeful. So I practiced law for 20 years. I'm still practicing law and yeah, ups and downs with having kids and starting a family and, and trying to be successful at a firm. And you know, it was challenging because I think there's still so many systems and structures in place, just like we, you, Mac and I, we were just talking about that, how things haven't changed in the workplace since in the last century or more even, depending on what, what you do. And I, I think the law and legal industry is particularly slow and not adapting well at all to the more diverse workplace or more diverse employee pool that there is now. So, you know, so I, I went to law, so I went, so I was, sorry, so I was practicing law for 20 years. And then I, about a year ago, I thought, I, I, I got to, I have a story to tell. I just need to get, get all these things. I want to support other women. I want to support other women attorneys. I want to change the systems and structures of law firms and be an advocate for that. And I just knew like there's something in me. So I started writing and I started a blog and I thought, okay, this is great. I'm blogging. And then it just sort of grew and grew. And I realized that, I didn't necessarily want to stay as a full-time lawyer. I loved the writing. I loved the connections that I was making and really hearing people's stories and understanding their experiences. And so I ended up going to coaching school. I just finished my certification as a life coach. So I'm doing that. And then I also did another certification at UC Riverside and I got a design thinking certificate from their design thinking program. So I, put those together and that's my company. I, I help support women. I also go into companies and talk about how they can use design thinking, which is a human centered approach to really 
change the workplace experience. And part of that for me is making the business case for a better culture and a better, a more diverse workplace and how, how to do that. But it really, you know, diversity and inclusion is very much a human problem and design thinking is very much a human centered solution. So I think it's, it really fits right together for, for me. And yeah, so then, so that's where I was about a year ago. And then finally, when the pandemic hit, I was furloughed and then laid off. So I had all this time to really dive into this business and really dive into learning all I could about different, different things and different people. And like you were saying, Mac, making new, making new friends and making new connections. And it's been wonderful because I feel like I have the time to really nurture those connections in ways that I didn't before. So that's how I got here. And I'm, I'm still um, launching my business and it's fun. And I get to spend my day just following my own curiosity, which is great. And I'm, I'm, you know, I know 2020 has been a really tough for a lot of people and including my kids and, and other people in my life. But for me, I, Feel like I've kind of had the time to, to explore and really learn about who I am and what I want to do in the world and how I, I want to show up. So it's exciting to me. Very cool, Catherine. Thank you. Uh, watching you speak also is such a pleasure. Uh, um, there's a guy named Ben, ben Zander who used to be the conductor of the Boston Philharmonic. He retired, but they made him come back to become the new conductor of the Boston Children's Philharmonic. And he talks about something called shining eyes oh. and shining eyes are when people are growing and learning and discovering and childlike, not childish. And as you were telling your story, I was watching your eyes shine, <laughs> which is very cool. So several things you said, um, one was about, about learning. Uh, Peter, Peter Senge, who's a, a pretty smart guy says that every job description should only say one thing, learn. There should be no other details on a job description, which I think is great. Yeah, and, I agree. And when you confess to being a lawyer, um, I got a call from a friend, the, actually the husband of a woman who I was doing some work with. She was the dean of, um, of student life at um, American University. And I've been doing work with her and her people. And she said that her husband, who was with a pretty prestigious law firm, wanted to talk to me about doing, you know, team training with his lawyers. So they took me out to a really nice restaurant in Washington, you know, with suits and ties and waiters with, you know, like white claws hanging off their forearms and stuff. And he said, well, tell us what you do. And I started, I told him a bit. And then two of the partners got up and said, why on earth would lawyers want to learn how to work together? And they left. Wow. <laughs> and that was it, you know, so much for that idea. So, you know, as you said, um, old ways, just because we're used to them, doesn't mean that they are inclusive and elastic enough to be of maximum benefit, even from a business perspective. I do a lot of research in my work and we know not just intuitively, but we know from the data that when uh, people are, are really connected emotionally and even spiritually to what they do, they work harder. 
Yeah. Right? And they do it naturally, right? Yes, 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 yes. You don't you don't have to stand there with a whip and go, come down. <laughs> yeah. So we know that. So let me ask you, from your from your coaching and your um growth into this. Sorry, that's my phone and I've got to turn it off, but I shall in a second. Um what have you seen in this time in which which we're in, which may may show cracks for people like us to help other people make a difference and to, and to shift their their perspective? Well, I think in some ways 2020 has been a year of growth, not just for me personally, but I think in the business world as well. And I think people are starting to internalize mm-hmm. that, that the systems and structures that we have don't work. And I know for me, it was kind of the first time, you know, kind of is that, that move that you hear about going from being not racist to being anti-racist. And I feel like that shift and things like that have really happened this year. And so I think people realize you know, networking and affinity groups are, are not enough to support the diverse workforce. And so there has to be something different. And I feel like this year has really opened up that opportunity and we can step into that. And hopefully companies will really dedicate some resources to it because they, I know I've seen on LinkedIn, people posting about new jobs for, you know, for, for diversity and inclusion officers, but programming and all these different things. So I think it's really a unique opportunity to step in because I don't, in my lifetime, I don't remember there being this kind of mass movement that's been sustained for so long. And I mean, there's obviously there's the women's March and there is the, the, um, Oh, after the school shooting, the March for our lives. There've been things like that and movements like that, but I feel like they've, kind of been more flash in the pan and unfortunately, but I feel like this is different. Like there's something bigger here and people are hungry to take down the systems and structures that don't work anymore. Well, let me, um, let me push back. Um, I'm going to pretend I'm somebody else. (laughs) And um, so I say to you, well, what's the bottom line? Where's the return on investment? I mean, the way we've been doing it has made me wealthy. (laughs) And why should I change? Because I don't, you haven't shown me a reason why this works to, to the benefit of my organization. Well, it's interesting that you say that because they, I saw a statistic the other day talking about in the Great Recession, which companies did better. And there was a statistic saying that more diverse and inclusive workplaces with higher employee engagement outperformed less diverse firms by 400%. And that was back in the Great Recession. So I think we can look at diversity and inclusion as a way to build our businesses' resiliency and, and help us get through these tougher economic downturn, downturns and times that are struggling for a lot of people. So there is a lot of return on investment. Uh, and to your point about employees being more engaged, there's a lot of statistics that talk about how higher, that correlate high employee engagement with higher productivity and of course generating more revenue and, and therefore more profit. So the statistics are there on the return of, for investment 
And I think that that's, you can make a business case for it. And hopefully people will begin to see that. I think we have the, um, I think we have the ammunition. Mm-hmm. I think it's about being influential and convincing enough. Um, I read something the other day, which I think makes a really good argument is that um, anyone who's more highly engaged in ed- any operation, whether it's a Boy Scout troop, a homeowners association, um, General Motors, or the government, are more likely to hold themselves to a higher standard of accountability, too. Yeah, I think when you when you like what you do and you know why you're doing it, I think that just makes you more motivated to actually do a great job and to do, to give it your all. And I think when you're in a position where you are disconnected from that meaning, or you feel undervalued or unappreciated, I know from my personal experience, that's happened to me. And it's, it's hard not to be a clock watcher. It's hard to stay on task and really focus. And, you know, I do say like action, take action over perfection, but when you're in that space and you're not engaged, even taking action, you're not taking enough action there's you're still leaving your own talent on the table and i think you're not you're not self-fulfilling you what you can do and, and that's not a fun place to be i've been there it's not fun so and i think there are there are links to health problems mm-hmm. from that there 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 are links to um if not mental problems at least in the mental problem realm like depression, you know, periodic depression, um, increased anxiety, um, a change in our, in our physiology due to the lack of, of the uh, wonderful chemicals like endorphins and oxytocin and dopamine and all those things, which our brain feeds us when it, when it goes good job more or less. <laughs> and if like, we don't feel like it's a good job, we don't get those either. So we have a lot of data. Um, you also are an advocate for women in the workplace. It's my understanding. Did I did I say that well? Yes, you did. Okay, tell me about that. Um, tell me about that that passion, and tell me, please, tell us, I guess, about your your outcome if you do your job really, really well. If like Catherine Porter is like a big rock in this big pond. What do you see as the ripples? Yeah, I think so. I became an advocate for women. I it just I realized that that in my different roles and, and especially the one from I was with for for so many years, that that was the piece I really enjoyed. I enjoyed the women's affinity groups and I enjoyed being a voice. And like one of my a couple of us, we became known as the vocal associates from Orange County because <laughs> we were vocal about these issues. And I, you know, I went to law school. I had been out of undergrad for a few years. I was engaged and then married in law school. And I knew I was going to be starting my family soon. And so I went to a law firm that said, oh, yeah, we support. They didn't even have a maternity leave policy at the time, which was kind of amazing to think about. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, and they hadn't had an attorney there who had had a baby in a really long time. So it was just it was just kind of interesting to see that how that played out. And I feel like, you know, I always like to be part of a team. Right. So I and that was and that was frustrating for me because I tended to be in groups and that not 
it's not uh, not unusual for lawyers, but the, to be sort of driven by their own success, and you know they don't they don't necessarily want to pull anyone up with them, and that was really frustrating with me because I I felt like I have my strengths, other people have their strengths. You know why can't we play up to our strengths instead of we all have to do everything? And so I think that that's what sparked me is I feel like there's one model of success, and if you don't fit that mold. It, it's you you just can't succeed and that's super frustrating to me and and it's a story I hear over and over with women where you do start your family and then I took some time off my firm supported me I did some alternative work arrangements and then I came back after a few years and and I was part-time and then I thought okay well I'm gonna I'm gonna ramp up I'm gonna do what it takes I'm, I'm gonna you know try to get out there and get clients and do all the thing all the things but I was told by a, a male ally, good friend, he, he did some kind of behind the scenes, you know, scoping out the f- pulse of the other attorneys and the other partners. And he came to me and he said, everyone likes you. Everyone thinks you're a great attorney. We just don't see you as a partner. And I felt like I had been, you know, I guess it was the glass ceiling. It, it was, you know, because I think I'd taken time off for my kids and they're like, well, we don't know if you're serious. And I'm like, well, I'm serious. I, you know, I needed time to have my family and, and to be there for my family because it's really important to me. And so that was just a really frustrating experience. And, and as I talk to more and more women, I realize it's, it's not unique at all. And it's not unique to law, but I think there's maybe a higher portion of it in law, but is by no means got the corner on the market. So if that was really what part was my driving force behind really wanting to advocate for changes and advocate for women and support women so that they could make those changes and those transitions easier. I am, I am continually shocked, I, I guess, um, by the um, apparent inability of people to grasp that sharing power does not involve giving up any power whatsoever. The more more power we share, the more power there is. And I think a lot of people and a lot of men included see it as a zero sum game Mm -hmm. is that if I have 72% of the power and I give anyone, but especially some, especially a woman or a minority or a younger person or, you know, the categories we can. Yeah. Anyone else who doesn't look like you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. If I, if I, if I let them have any more, then my 72% is going to fall. Yeah. And, and there, there is nothing in research or, or really in experience that supports that. Um, unless you're a professional athlete, you know, if you're a professional football player, that's, that's all it's about. But right. most of us, most of us are not. Yeah. I I'm pretty much okay with not being part of the WNBA because I'm just five feet tall. Like that's fine. I don't feel excluded. <laughs> I don't feel unsupported, you know, I, yeah, I'm not just not a fit for that, but, but, you know, I, I am a fit for the legal profession and, and yeah, I still wasn't able to really make a go of it, at least at that firm. So yeah, it's, it's been an interesting ride. And I feel like yeah, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get why we can't all just be valued for who we are. And, 
and use our own strengths to to lift all boats. The rising tide, you know, lift all lifts all boats. And I just that's just my philosophy. That's my approach. And it it was not welcomed at at some of the companies I was with, which you know, I just I just don't understand. It baffles me. Ouch. And maybe this um, derecho, you know, this mighty unexpected wind mm-hmm. blowing through our whole planet. It's, you know, it's not like just blowing through North Carolina um, or California. It's everybody everywhere. Maybe that will shake things up so that some of our, some of our old skin will shed. Yeah. And be replaced by better, newer skin. I hope so. I know I was, I was just writing about this last night, actually, from my blog about how it, it, there's been a real strong call to action. And I feel like it's different. I mean, I've seen other marches, I've seen other movements, but this just feels different. It feels like people like like me on to be totally honest are really seeing that just being not racist or just being you know doing the best you can in your own corner is is not enough we have to have a voice and we have to give voice to other people and it's it's just a real opportunity right now i feel like people are paying attention and they're more open to new things and they're open to new experiences i'm sure you know when it comes to law or, or some of the other more traditional professions there are definitely going to be the older more entrenched um uh, attorneys and, and professionals but i think along with the millennials that are entering the, the workforce at a bigger number and me as a gen xer you know i think i think we realize now we just we can't we just cannot keep going the way we are. Burr. Thank you. Because I am, I am firmly in the baby boomer. You know, I went to Woodstock and I protested the Vietnam War and used to have hair down to my ass and, you know, all of those <laughs> kinds of things. And I have, um, I've gotten lots of requests in about the past four years from clients to deal with the generational divide. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we have five generations, if you count interns, in the workplace. And as far as we know, that's the first time in human history. Yeah. And what I discovered um, is when I when I talk to, to uh, old farts, uh, see, I can say that because I yeah. can't fly. Right? <laughs> um, they fell into roughly two completely different camps. One camp said, oh, these young people today, they have no work ethic. They're all self-centered they like win prizes, even if they just show up, they don't know how to compete. All they want to do is have, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you know how that, how that uh, list goes on. And then I started to see these little sparks of older people who said three things. And the first one blew me away. We created them. We created them. So if we don't like what they are or who they are, then why did we help them become that? Because we, we, we raised them. Hello. (laughs) The second thing was it's their turn. Yeah. Or will be shortly. And that's not negotiable, you know? And then the third thing was, why don't we show them what we can become as a paradigm for passing on information without an attitude, for being less judgmental, for seeing them as a resource instead of as a threat, 
And boy, did I feel better. Yeah, I can. Yeah, exactly. I don't mean to paint with a broad brush and say, "Oh, all baby boomers are are traditional and are stuck," because I know that's not true. And and yeah. I know there was a lot of the, the civil rights movement. That's baby boomers, and and so there's all a, a lot of good out there and, and good mindsets. And um, so I think that's great. And I think those are real powerful allies because hopefully they're they are in the positions of power and they can help us the you know i shouldn't say us because i'm almost 50 but but uh <laughs> i don't really am not i'm definitely not a millennial so but my daughters they're i guess gen z right and i i've heard someone call their generation the uh social justice generation and I really, I really hope that's true. And, and I think it will be true. I've seen it. I've seen it in my own girls and I've seen other people that, you know, really are taking action and, and trying to, to do things. And I think as the older generations, we just have, we can support them in ways we just might have to think a little bit differently because it's a different time, but, but, um, but yeah, I think that's great that we can be allies and supporters and, and take the action leader and lead, lead as well. I think it just takes, changing our our framework about it mm -hmm. right i mean there are men and there are women that's not negotiable <laughs> as far as i know so why not see that as great and we can be resources for each other um we can celebrate our differences and see them as isn't that cool and isn't that wonderful not yeah. as ooh. yeah right <laughs> Well, and I think I think one of the barriers to to that mindset is just our natural uh, bias towards people who look like us, and I it's totally natural. It makes sense. It's I'm sure it's probably an evolutionary advantage to know who your quote friends are. Right, they're the ones that look like you, and so I think, but. I think we just can't ignore. We can't think. Oh well, I don't do that, and. You know, like I've seen law firms, for example, it's just the world I'm more familiar with, you know, on the great places for women lists. And then you look at their statistics and they have like 30% women partners. It's like, I'm, and that's like, that makes the list, you know? And I'm like, really? Like, I mean, it's yes. And oh, well, it's more than it was, you know, 30 years ago. And, and that's great. But like, no, that's not enough. I, I graduated from law school 20 years ago. It was totally 50-50 in my law school graduating class. And so by now, we should all be at that senior level or that partnership level and, and lead, in leading the firms. And I look around and I, it's, it's where, where did all my female classmates go? Yeah. You've seen uh, the um, movie about Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Yeah, uh -huh. so powerful. Right. Remember her sitting at that table and the president or whatever saying, I want you to convince me why you get to be here when, when you've taken the place of men. Yeah. I mean, when I heard that, and I was alive then. So, you know, <laughs> this isn't like this is about the Civil War or the War of 18. You know, it's like, wow. <laughs> and I thought my generation was the social justice generation. Mm -hmm. And and it, it is heartening to see it coming back again. And I'm not talking about Democrat or Republican. No. I'm, talking about, I'm talking about human beings. That's all. So I have two questions for you. Okay. So Catherine Porter's operation gets legs and moves and your people start reading your blogs and you know, all those things happen. 
So what happens from that? What would you like to see? That's the first question. The second question is, years from now, when you are no longer bothering your daughters, either you've moved elsewhere or you've moved on to another plane or whatever the situation is, and your daughters are talking to their children, your grandchildren, and they say, what did grandma or nana or whatever, how did she handle 2020? Because we hear that it was really strange. So what would you like the story that your daughters told, tell their children about how you handled this? What would you like them to say? So first question first, please. Yeah. So what do I see if everything goes well and, and Catherine Porter takes off? I think I want to see, I want to see me speaking. I want to see me really advocating in front of large uh, audiences of law firm leaders and other leaders in, in traditional uh, industries and I want to make that case. I want to have someone go, okay, I thought we were, I thought we had this problem fixed. I thought we had addressed it. And, but I see now that, that we have it. And I, I feel like that's true with Black Lives Matter. And I wrote a blog about that, how like for years I kind of thought, well, you know, I'm not racist. And, and I, you know, I, I know about my con- unconscious bias. I'm working on that. And then, but then when this all happened and the, the Black Lives Matter movement really took, got the spotlight. I was like, you know, really, I'm not, I, I think I'm doing enough, but I'm not doing enough. I need to do more and I need to take action. And so I think that's kind of that same, I want to generate that same sort of sense of urgency, that same sort of sense of, Hey, this isn't right. We need to do something about this. So that that's what I hope people will do when they, when they read or hear me speak or read what I've written. Um, and in terms of what my girls, I want them to say is I really, I want them to say that I was resilient uh, there was a lot of uncertainty, but I used that time to learn new things and grow as a person and as a mom and, and as a human being, and that I wasn't afraid to try something good, try something new. And so, you know, I think that I want them to see that that I came through this with that growth mindset. I didn't get hide in the under the covers because I was scared and, and and there is it is a scary time but um but I'm just going forward and, and at first I thought oh my gosh how can I launch a, a business in a pandemic and then I realized you know what people need to hear this message and this is the perfect time to launch that business so I want them to see that yeah I took that chance and I went out and I aligned what I do with who I am. And it's just been like a blossoming for me. I feel really, really good about where I am and what I do. I love what I do. And so I want them to see that as well. Thank you. One of the uh, joys of doing this for me, doing it this way, so I can see your face, because I used to do all these over the phone is I get to watch back to Xander and his shining eyes. I get to watch other people um, bring that same kind of um, happiness, that same kind of joy, that same kind of life to what they do. That is part of what keeps me going is that sense of, yeah, just, you know, if it just means I get another cup of coffee right now, then that's good enough. (laughs) Right. And then, right. And then I will come back to this and I will, um, push without anger, 
Right. Or you mentioned earlier the power of curiosity. Yeah. And one of the insights I had not too long ago, because I was talking to, we were talking in my, one of my classes about anger and resentment. And all of us almost at the same time discovered that if you're in a, in a state of curiosity, you can't be resentful. Yeah. There's a, a great quote on that. I can't remember who it was. I want to say Thoreau or somebody in that era that talked about you can't, I think it's in a poem or something about how you can't be judgmental and curious at the same time. So curiosity about yourself, curiosity about the world. And I think that that's been really key for me. My little judgmental voice is gone or she's quiet. <laughs> she's quieter. <laughs> and you know, I've taken that chance to just learn and, and to be curious and say, and really look at myself, look at our world and really think about what's going on and why it's going on and how can we think, what are some ways we can approach it? And I think that, yeah, I love the power of curiosity. Well, maybe down the line, centuries, you know, whatever, this will be like, the Renaissance, it will be seen as this upheaval, which produced a whole new kind of curiosity about who we are, how we work, what work even looks like, what school looks like, what learning consists of, what, what gender consists mm -hmm. of, what, I mean, all these things are all in this mix of, of, you know, going around and around like you know one of those, yeah. one of those, one of yeah. those cement mixers walking down the street. So we'll see what the, the new foundation is that uh, we can build. So I appreciate your time. It was also nice meeting your cat. <laughs> it was just just lovely. Thank I call her my co-host. <laughs> he is your co-host. And I hope some of the purring came through your microphone, which is <laughs> I'm sure um, it did. You are a friend now, officially Yay. announced. So let us both not let this friendship just because this is this is a time for connections maybe more than in, at least in my lifetime, which is a little longer than yours, more so than, than I think we've ever needed. Yeah, I, I think that that's true. And, and that's another thing that I've really come out of this with is new connections, new friends, and, and the time to really be connected. And even though I've met, I've met so many people that I've never actually physically met and I, I have all these new friends and it's, it's just wonderful. And that the act of connecting, like the act of curiosity, I think, um, keeps us from the sort of dark side of the force. Yeah, I think okay. so. All right. Take good care. Thank you. You too. I will, I will talk to you again soon. And uh, I will let you know when the podcast is up and live and running so you can um, spread it amongst your network. I will. Thank you so much. A pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for giving us a listen. As we move forward with this situation, with this thing that's us, let's never forget that we are all in this together. No matter what else happens, we're all in this together. Thank you.